Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to the Nerd Party. Let the filibustering begin. Welcome to Nerd Party. Hello and welcome to Filibuster here on the Nerd Party. On today's episode we get brain freeze from taking a bite out of Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg's Cornetto trilogy. Now it was once said that there is no I in team, but there is an I in pie. Meat pie. Meat is an anagram of team. I don't know what he's talking about, but it's time to introduce Team Filibuster. Here is the Ed to my Sean, the Danny to my Nick, and the Andy to my Gary. It's Lee Hutchison. How are you? Yeah, boy. (laughs) (laughs) And she is the Jessica Stevenson to my peg, the Kate Blanchett to my peg, the Rosamund Pike to my peg. It's Kim Morrison. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Good. Now, before we get started, does anyone need anything from the shop? <laughs> Lots of toilet roll and hand sanitizer and masks. Well, that says maybe more about you than it does about <laughs> us, perhaps. Who knows? But um, first up is uh, Sean of the Dead from 2004. Life is going nowhere for Sean. He spends his life in his local pub, the Winchester, with his best mate, Ed. He has issues with the, his mum and neglects his girlfriend, Liz. When Liz dumps him, Sean decides to finally get his life in order. He must win back the heart of his girlfriend, repair his relationships, and face up to the responsibilities of adulthood. Unfortunately, the dead are also returning to life at the same time and attempting to eat the living. For the newly inspired Sean, there's just another obstacle. In the face of a full-scale zombie epidemic, armed with a cricket bat and a spade, Sean sets out with Ed and Toe to rescue his mum, and grudgingly his stepdad, his girlfriend, and even more grudgingly her friends David and Diane, and take them to the most safest, secure place he knows, the Winchester. So, uh, Lee, let's come to you first. When... Did you first see Sean of the Dead? Actually, let's go back before that. Were you a fan of Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg before that? Were you a fan of Spaced? And were you looking forward to the start of the Cornetto trilogy? It was one of those ones I was sort of in like my early years of high school at the time. So something like Spaced was sort of a bit kind of late at night. You know, I was old enough to be seeing it, but it was one of those ones where I'd seen maybe like two, three episodes out of the series run. And it kind of always evaded me being able to be able to catch up with it. You know, we, I think sometimes you just we take it for granted that we have Netflix, 4OD, BBC iPlayer these days. It was so frustrating that this show that felt really tailor-made to my sense of kind of nerdish humour, I could only ever see the odd episode. And I would have to kind of rely on maybe seeing it kind of in like the TV times or something like that. So unfortunately, I, I kind of didn't consider myself a fan of space, but I was someone that wanted to be a fan of space. But I was very much looking forward to, to Shaun of the Dead. They had quite the, the hype train, it felt like. And Kim, what about you? Were you uh, a fan of uh, Space and that before Shaun of the Dead? Yeah, I'm kind of the same. I feel like I sort of missed it. I think I, I knew it existed, but I honestly don't think I had seen an episode until well after I had seen Shaun of the Dead. And even now, I'm not entirely sure I've seen all of it. Um, I know it just got added 
to Netflix uh, and I keep meaning to go and actually watch it because it's only it's ridiculously short it's like two seasons or something isn't it so I really need to go and make sure I've seen it all but yeah I don't think I actually um, went and checked that out until I had seen Shaun of the Dead and possibly Hot Fuzz and knew that um, that kind of humour and stuff was the kind of stuff I was into yeah I mean I was there at the beginning I think with Spaced it was it was right up my street I mean I really sort of connected to the character of a Tim Bisley, I think, and yeah, I think it's when did when did it start? I think it was ninety nine, and before Star Wars, the the prequels came out, and I think it was on around about half past nine after Friends on a Friday night, so I think it got the bump off of that initially, and yeah, you know, just the the film references and stuff were just tailor made for me, and I was really looking forward to seeing Shaun of the Dead. It was I was into sort of discovering a lot of the sort of horror films which. Are, I should have seen, but we're starting to catch up on, you know, the ones that had been banned and stuff like that, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and The Exorcist and some of the zombie ones like Dawn of the Dead. So I was really looking forward to it. Um, so, I mean, let's go back to, to Lee. And uh, can you remember what you thought when you first saw Shaun of the Dead? Was it at the cinema or was it a, a Oh, no, no, it was at the cinema. Uh, it was the first time I ever went to the cinema was nearly robbed. So it's going to always have a, a special memory for me. So I, my dad was working down in London um, at the time on a project. So we had like this apartment in um, Croydon that we could kind of use. So every so often we'd go down for like a long weekend in London. And it was ideal for me because it was like I was closer to a cinema there than I would be kind of back home. So I had the opportunity to go see Shaun of the Dead. So I went, I went to my, went myself to see it. I like went to pre-book my ticket in the morning, and I went into this sort of like kind of quiet sort of like leisure facility in uh, Croydon to get my ticket, paid for it, put my change in my pocket, and as I was sort of heading out, this guy goes, "Do you want to give me some money?" And I was like, oh, I don't have any money. And they went, yeah, we just saw you. You've got like change from your, your ticket there. I was like, I don't have change. And I just started to like power walk out. And then I got tripped up. And then I kind of just immediately got back up and went out into the street of like this busy street. And I was I was free from this, you know, attempted robbery of like what would have been only a couple of quid in my pocket. Um, so Shaun of the Dead had to, you know, it has kind of connotations for me in a lot of different ways. But um. Yeah, I went in and I just absolutely loved it. Um, I thought it was just one of the funniest things I'd kind of ever seen. As like, a, a, it was that age where sort of like you know early teens, and I just thought everything about it was so funny. Like what you probably got from Shaun of the Dead, uh, from space in terms of all the references, these relatable characters that felt like Shaun of the Dead achieved that for me before Spaced. I just thought it was it was so funny, and I was immediately hooked into you know kind of Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, Edgar Wright, and their kind of whatever they would do next. Like that relationship was cemented straight away. Kim, what about yourself? Um, I don't think I went to see it in the cinema, um, but I can't actually remember when it first was. I do have it on DVD, but I have a feeling that I saw it probably on the TV um, before I actually bought it. I feel like it was... Um, yeah, I think it was one of those ones that I, I sort of heard about it and I was a bit like, hmm, horror... I wasn't sure about horror comedy, I think, was the thing because I don't think there was like as many examples of it as around as there maybe like is now, um, apart from like things that kind of lean too far the other way like scary movie and stuff so I think that maybe put me off in the first place um, and then when I eventually saw it I realised it's actually like a like a really good mix of a of a horror movie and it has scary bits and good like zombie effects and stuff and it is 
funny at the same time. Um, but yeah, it's it's like what Lee said. There's so many like cool wee references, and even I, I mean, I just rewatched it like a couple of days ago for this. So there's there's just stuff I think you notice sort of every time. So yeah, I don't quite. <laughs> it's one of those films that I've seen so many times now. I really have trouble remembering when I first watched it. Um, but I've probably <laughs> seen it like more times that I could count. Uh, um, yeah, it's just one of those like really that and Hot Fuzz actually are total like comfort films for me. They're ones that um, like I'll quite happily put on myself. But like any single time it's on the TV as well, I'll end up watching it, which is what I discovered when I was rewatching it because I have seen the entire film loads of times but I really didn't have a clear memory of like the first maybe half an hour because I think the bit I always seem to turn it on at um when I watch it on tv is um sort of the bit where they're chucking the records at the zombies in the garden it always seems to be around about that point so the the sort of yeah chunk before the the zombie invasion hits I sort of had a very murky memory of that section um even though I know I've seen the whole thing through loads of times but yeah it's just uh yeah I've seen it far too many far too many times to count now I think <laughs> Well, I mean, there's, it's one of the great things I think, about this film is it does so well on repeat viewings because you do get to sort of see how well the uh, the sort of script uh, by Peg and Wright, I think, pays off so much and so much of it is set up in, like say, in like the first sort of 20, 30 minutes that then pays back later. You know, you've got Sean's say, first trip to the, the shop where he's sort of completely oblivious to everything and then the second trip of the shop where he's still completely oblivious <laughs> to everything but then everything has gone so horribly wrong like the the sort of slip in the uh, the store that he does the first time and then the slip in the store he does the second time which is then on blood and uh, the fact like even in like the second trip where he uh, switch, he finally switches from coke to diet coke because he's uh, deciding to change his life and stuff like that so um, I mean for me I saw this at the Belmont would have been the first time I saw it we screened it on release and I remember specifically I think somebody complaining about the film saying that it was too violent I think they'd gone thinking it was just going to be a comedy and not a horror comedy and also thinking well it's a comedy horror it's how's it horrific is it going to be and I think it was specifically I think it must have been uh, David's uh, demise mm-hmm. uh, towards the end which does go full sort of day of the dead um full sort of Stan Winston sort of uh, uh, Kurtzman sort of uh, Nicotero and all that sort of full Tom Savini with the effects and the, the guts and stuff like that so um, yeah somebody complained about it but I was like well it's a 15 and you know unfortunately for, for some people it's a 15 but people don't get to fully appreciate the 15 of it if they're watching it on ITV too because certain words are uh, dubbed or cut completely because um, and I think it's it's one of the great sort of audio commentaries as well because I think there's even a different dub of it that they, they talk about the fact that they've had to change certain words in order for like the airplane releases and stuff like that and I mean it's so in keeping with the sort of space style at that time and it was kind of born out of I think it was season was it season 2 episode 2 where uh, Tim is playing Resident Evil 2 on his own in the flat and then imagines sort of fighting zombies for real so it's sort of they sort of thought oh well, wouldn't it be great to do a feature length episode of something like this and that's where the idea was born but I mean there's a great you know this is what I love about digital, physical media as well as digital media you've got all the sort of extras on it and you've got the sort of 
Edgar and Simon's flip chart, which is a great extra if you ever want to watch about sort of how you construct a story and how they knew where it was going to go and all the sort of callbacks and references. And one thing they do better than anyone, I think, is how they basically tell you exactly what's going to happen without you sort of realising it. And it's like where Ed is sort of saying, you know, the plan after Sean gets dumped, he sort of says, well, you know, this night and then tomorrow you know we'll we'll have a, a couple of bloody marys about round the king's head uh nipped by the little princess and then stumble back here for shots and it's like well that is the plot of it because you know mary's in the garden and she gets bloody bite the king's head refers to philip and get the little princess and then stumbling back as they you know pretend to be zombies and then get to the thing so i mean we could sort of talk about i guess what maybe some of the aspects that people sort of enjoy about and sort of some of their favourite moments. So Lee, what are your some of your sort of favourite moments and what do you like about Shaun of the Dead so much and why do you think it's lasted so long and appeared on ITV two every week <laughs> uh, for the last fifteen years, I think. I think it's probably some of the issues that maybe bugged that person when they went to see it at the cinema and that they complained <laughs> that I really love about it. I mean it is the perfect rom com zom movie like it blends everything so well together and i think it's such a great kind of version of sort of edgar wright's vision just it's i'm not an overly fan of sort of stylish shots i kind of prefer to you know i prefer to let the camera sort of just be there and let kind of the acting happen whereas that is not edgar wright's kind of thing at all it's you know these shortcuts it's you know it's highly stylized and i just find that so entertaining to watch as kind of a feature i just think Peg and Frost are just such a perfect double pairing. I mean, we got obviously some of that in space, but they weren't really the heart of that TV show. Um, so I think like when you watch that here, like there's probably a lot of people and especially probably a lot of kind of um, men that are probably a little bit closer still to, to boys in terms of how they treat life uh, that watch this and maybe just find this one the most kind of probably relatable out of the, the trilogy for where they're at as an audience. So I just think there's just so much going on that it's probably my favourite because I just think I could watch this one all the way kind of through a little less so with all the, the other two. I just think it's the perfect runtime. The hit ratio is just so good and I just think it's just one great gag after another. It almost reminds me of Aeroplane in a way. You know, very different co- kind of comedy approaches but just that tempo of joke, joke, joke whether it's visually kind of with the, the script or physically. Cool. And Kim, what are some of your sort of favourite moments and what do you think is made it last so well over the years i think um sort of my favorite thing about it is um the fact that it is a zombie film and it is scary and like you said that bit where um david gets pulled through the the pub window and gets like his guts pulled out and something that that effect is is amazing like um and i still have trouble watching it now i would like force myself to watch it this time because sometimes i can sort of look away and get the full experience so i really appreciate the fact that it's like a it is a proper horror film it's not um like some of the the gore and the stuff is played for laughs but like when it gets serious it does the serious stuff well um but i think what i like about it is i do like zombie films um i do like but i feel like the sort of sub-genre of zombie films in general is usually quite bleak like even if the group survived to the end of the film it usually looks like they're screwed anyway like the world has ended and all the zombies in other parts of the world are still alive and chances are they're going to get munched i quite like that um even though it's very bleak and most of the group 
that uh, we kind of set off with do die in the end. There's not many of them left. Um, it's got quite like a nice ending. <laughs> you watch it, you feel quite like uplifted because um, like Sean kind of gets his full circle and gets a sort of happy or happyish version of his life. He's sort of adjusted to the things that like his girlfriend wanted from him and then obviously the way like the world is now so I always think like for me it stands up better for repeat viewing than like a lot of other zombie films because it has that sort of nice kind of um happy ending on the on the end but I, yeah I like the fact that they're they're not afraid to kill people off and the and the fact that they yeah they do I think they treat it with the like seriousness that it needs when that happens um and they sort of save the like funny stuff for more for when they're just like kind of killing zombies and things um which I think works really well um yeah so I think it's just like I just I love the the mix I think they just get the mix of like humor and horror perfect that you can be a bit scared and grossed out and then laugh like the next um second and and yeah I think uh I think the whole dynamic between Simon Pegg and Nick Frost I always feel like you can just tell like their pals in real life like their comedy just feels very natural and it does feel like the kind of stupid stuff that you would do when you're like hanging out with your pals um it, i think that's probably why a lot of it's really like quotable because it's not yeah this like over the top kind of contrived thing to make it sound funny it's just absolutely daft stuff that you would you would come out with your with your friends so i think that's why it probably works so well yeah no i think what I mean, I've, I I rewatched it again uh, this weekend on uh, the on Saturday, which was the first day that um, England started to go back to the pubs. <laughs> it was funny watching a film about uh, people uh, going to the pub in the face of certain death, while people were going to the pub in the face of certain death. And quite <laughs> a bit of an irony. And it's it's nice to see that this film has um, uh, endured that way. I think even sort of Simon Pegg had <laughs> basically put up the. Uh, loads of pictures of Sean enjoying a pint or something at the Winchester and saying uh, enjoy going back to the pub folks because I think this film more than any other seems to have sort of been for the, the pandemic there seems to have been that it started off with lots of people sort of saying oh well you know we'll just head over to the Winchester and this whole thing blows over and stuff like that and even sort of Simon Pegg and Nick Frost did a, a sort of follow-up video to it on lockdown uh, to the point where they even sort of uh, went back over some of the lines even to the point where sort of Simon sort of chastised Nick Frost's character from uh, making sort of you know uh, slightly uh, homophobic references stuff like that. well you know that was a, a different time we, we can't really say that anymore so it's like it's nice to know that they've sort of um, looked at that but I think what, what you said was right and I think the success of the film is how well it balances the comedy the horror and also the sort of the emotion of it all because yeah, like when it does get dark, it does get dark, and and the effects are fantastic. It it, it wants to be maybe not like scary as in the sort of jump scare scary, but certainly horrific, and you're sort of repulsed by what goes on. But it also manages to make you sort of feel for the characters as well, and I think like the the deaths are very well handled, especially the sort of Bill Nye's performance as he's sort of talking to Sean and about how difficult it was to be a stepdad and stuff like that and it sort of turns you around on that character and then the pain that sort of Sean feels when he has to shoot his uh, deceased mum in the head and she's turned into a zombie and stuff like that and I think it's like you really do sort of feel those ones and you often don't in zombie movies you're sort of waiting for people to become 
sort of meals and stuff for zombies, but you actually do sort of care what happens to these characters, and that's a real sort of testament to the writing and the performances, I think. But also the fact is, it still is very, very funny, and you know they know when to make a joke and when to to leave it to to become more serious as well. And I mean, this was the the start of the Cornetto trilogy, as it was. They didn't know it was going to be at that point. They, it sort of came about, I think, because at the premiere of Shaun of the Dead, they got loads of strawberry cornettos um, <laughs> and they decided that, hang on, if we, if we put it in the next one, then we might get even more and then it just sort of kind of stuck. But um, I actually found out that the cornetto thing is actually true. I think I was in Hong Kong for a holiday in 2007 and me and my mates sort of went out drinking quite a lot uh, and there was a bar called From Dust Till Dawn, not like that, From Dust Till Dawn, um, but it was basically open from dusk until dawn and then there was a Seven Eleven opposite and basically I sort of had a Cornetto uh, on the way back to the hotel and I woke up and I didn't have a hangover and I thought wow, this is brilliant because that was apparently based on a true story that Edgar Wright had heard as well so um, yeah, basically um, always keep Cornettos in your freezer for when you get home <laughs> after a night out because it does work um, I don't really drink any more these days but um, if I did I would always keep a Cornetto handy um, and you know the big question of uh, what your favourite Cornetto is we're going to leave that to the end um, but are there any sort of particular sort of performances or sort of standout moments for you from this that don't involve the central pairing um, because you know it's, we're starting to see you know it had like people from uh, Space in it you know Jessica Stevenson pops up uh, briefly you've got sort of cameos from uh, sort of Julia Deacon and the alternative version of, of Shaun of the Dead where it follows Jessica's character with her boyfriend and friends and stuff as they're trying to survive as well. I mean, uh, sort of Rafe's ball is in it as well. And sort of watching that and Hot Fuzz <laughs> sort of back to back, there's a man who really levelled up between the first two <laughs> films. It's like, uh, he looks like a completely different person. And um, so, I mean, is there any sort of particular sort of moments that stand out? I should add, we've had Jessica Hines on this podcast before, so that's uh, a little caveat there. I think my favourite moment will always be, and I mean, it's probably the moment that the film has almost become most famous for, is when uh, Sean talks through the the plan and then the variations of the plan. I just think, like, I love sort of how Edgar Wright um, is able to sort of keep that visually interesting. So even though there's a slight variation each time, he continues to kind of mix things up. And I just think it's, it's just so fantastic. I mean, you think of all the things that we as a kind of country and planet have gone through in the past sort of over 15 years since the film came out that we've gone through it's been absolutely mad and how many times has the worst news in the world been sort of given the, a sort of full stop with a uh, Sean, uh, Sean, little smiley face and either a pint or a cup of tea in his hand. And I just think that moment is just going to carry probably through for the rest of our, our lifetimes for better or worse. Yeah, and Kim, uh, is there maybe a particular horror movie reference or or a moment that you really enjoy? Um, I think my favorite uh, ref reference is the when they're on the phone to um Sean's mum, and they're trying to like argue with her about coming to get her and stuff, and then um, Edge just leans across and he's like, "We're coming to get you, Barbara," and it just um it makes me laugh every time. Um, even though it's obviously delivered very differently in Night of the Living Dead, but it's just <laughs> it's just a little one, and it's. Uh, it always makes me laugh but I think um, maybe my favourite scene I was trying to think is maybe when they're all packed in the car together um, because quite a lot of stuff uh, happens there's a lot of like uh, Edge just being an idiot driving the car and like playing the music and not um, paying attention to what like Philip's telling him and then 
the like quite emotional scene between like Philip and um, Sean, and then obviously him <laughs> then immediately coming back as a zombie and them all trying to get out of the car. It's quite a like um, it's quite a short scene, but there's a lot there's a lot packed into that one, and I always think it's um, brilliant. But I think my my favorite bit, the bit I always end myself laughing at, is probably Sean, which happens in uh, the other ones as well. But Sean trying to jump over the fence and just. Uh, <laughs> make like an absolute mess of it and just like clatter in a, in a heap um that always makes me laugh that one so yeah there's yeah there's so many but that was that was the one that's guaranteed to get me every time and it's so daft because it's just a stupid moment like physical comedy <laughs> can i pose a quick question to you guys so obviously you had like kim you have this huge amazing horror dvd <laughs> and film collection dallas you have this room of fantastic films memorabilia like treasures there's a zombie invasion in your house. Are you thinking what you're throwing at these zombies, similar to what they do in um, Shaun of the Dead? Or are you just like chucking any DVD, any collectible at them? What would you guys do? <laughs> That's good. Um, I would probably go, and DVD-wise, I would probably go with the West Wing collection because there's about a good six or seven sort of DVDs per series, so I'd get a lot of mileage out of that. But I do have, I mean, I've often dressed up with Sean from Sean and the Dead for Halloween and stuff like that, so I do have a cricket bat with um, fake blood on it already, so I probably would use that. Um, so that would be that. And my counter question to you would be, you know, everyone apparently has a zombie plan for when the apocalypse comes. What would you do? Because uh, I know that I would go straight down to the Belmont film house um as long as i barricaded the front door which is just made of glass i think you'd be able to survive quite a long time uh with popcorn and stuff that's already in there you'd be able to play movies have a good time and you'd be able even able to get up on the roof and signal for help as well so i know i'm going to the bubble um so yeah uh, my kind of question is what are your zombie plans i probably run up to like arthur at the top of arthur's seat and just wait for it all to blow over there i guess <laughs> it's very exposed yeah because like how are they going to get up there like zombies would struggle like humans are not the best um most days <laughs> so i'd be curious to see how sort of like um humans how zombies would get up arthur's seats so i reckon i could sort of see it out a few days up there with the right supplies and then sort of return back to edinburgh and claim it as my own <laughs> i feel like i'd sort of take like the i think i'd take like the kind of 30 days a night's approach which even though I know that's vampires but and just like they kind of hide out in an attic for ages and that seems to work quite well because I feel like the downfall in a lot of zombie films is the minute you involve other people um you <laughs> you can be a nice person and like your family and stuff are cool but the minute you involve other people there's people who are willing to like chuck you to the zombies to survive and there's just uh, there's always the like real side of humans come out so I feel like oh I see how I, it is Kim yeah. <laughs> I feel like avoiding uh, other people that could potentially end up being douchebags would be the best way to go yeah so I feel like boarding your if you could board yourself up the attic or something and put loads of stuff on the hatch and then maybe um, if they weren't like super fast ones like the ones out of 28 days later or whatever then um, you might be fine <laughs> they might not be able to climb get a ladder down you might be alright <laughs> Kim's got a point as you know every series of The Walking Dead <laughs> has ever proved as soon as other people are involved it all goes to hell <laughs> but um, next you know we're leaving London and getting a transfer up to the village of Sanford the village of the year in fact for 2007's Hot Fuzz 
So when top London cop PC Nicholas Angel is reassigned to the quiet town of Sanford, he struggles with his seemingly crime-free world and oafish partner Danny. When several grisly accidents rock the village, it's not long before Danny's dreams of explosions, high-octane car chases and gunfights and all-out action become a reality. It's time for these small-town cops to hand out big city justice. So, Kim, would you remember the first time that you saw Hot Fuzz? Were you looking forward to it following the success of Shaun of the Dead? Again, I don't remember. I feel like I maybe went to see it in the cinema. Um, if only I, I had letterbox when I was in university, a lot of these questions would be easier because I would just be able to look it up and see when I watched it. Um, I Yeah, I think I maybe went to see it in the cinema. Again, I've probably seen Hot Fuzz more times than Shaun of the Dead, so the, uh, the various situations in which I have watched it have been sort of um, melted from my head. Um, but, I've, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think, um, I think because it sort of comes across as... Um, like, it's obviously not, like, a full-on, like, kind of horror thing, like Shaun of the Dead, it came across more as a police thing. I maybe initially wasn't, like, as excited for it, um, but... On the fact that I like their style of humour and everything, I thought it looked good for that. Um, and then obviously, actually seeing it, I was completely changed my mind. Um, because, God, some of the deaths in that are absolutely amazing. Like, I don't know, again, like you said, if it's like the watered-down ITV2 version I've been watching for so long that I forgot what the original ones looked like or if I just didn't remember how like gruesome some of them were. But, oh my goodness. Um, yeah, it was... Um, yeah, once I'd, once I'd actually seen it, I was just like fell absolutely in love with it it's such a such a strange such a strange film to try and describe it's like actually horror-y kind of a mix in between just absolute madness but yeah no I was I was excited to see it I wasn't really sure what I was getting going in but I came out very uh, happy with it because it's just it's brilliant yeah and Lee do you remember your first thoughts on seeing Hot Fuzz were you Hype to the max following Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, definitely. Like it was a good like Shaun of the Dead is guaranteed to get you hyped up, and it's the same sort of really with kind of both Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. Is they had such great home video releases that it wasn't just a case that with Shaun of the Dead, sort of you've you've now got this sort of like the perfect age of sort of DVDs really coming along. You can sort of watch Shaun of the Dead really enjoy it and like dive into the special features so you become so immersed in sort of the personalities and characters behind it like i remember sort of at the time less so as i sort of developed a big collection would be you'd watch Shaun of the dead you'd listen to like the multiple commentaries watch the documentaries the flip chart thing re-watch the film kind of repeatedly and it'd be one of these films that because i don't think not the greatest amount of people i knew had gone to see it at the cinema it's a word of mouth film so you're watching it with friends so i was kind of just like completely hyped up for for this film and yeah, I went along to to see it at the the cinema, and I was I was really into it for the fact that I unironically think Bad Boys Two is a fantastic <laughs> film. So like I am tuned into what these guys are all about, and Timothy Dalton at the time was definitely one of my favorite James Bond actors. But he, I just felt like I was never getting to see him in anything. So to get him sort of in a starring role was really exciting. I thought Edgar Wright had 
it reminded me of my favorite episode of space by that point which was the um the paintball episode like it just felt like it, this blended the type of action i thought that did really well it has such a huge cast of like the best of british talent you know it's got adam buxton in it olivia coleman joins the team you have martin freeman in sort of a bigger role rafe spall is unforgettable the andes it's just got so much in in, in this film and i just i really really enjoyed it i thought the double act took on another interesting turn in this film and as someone that also loves the wicker man i thought this film had a lot to to keep me going for i mean it, it does feel like it drags on a little bit too long whereas i think Shaun of dead is just the perfect time but i kind of put that problem i had with hot fuzz down to its ultimate tribute to bad boys 2 going on that one act a little <laughs> bit too long yeah i mean this one i remember seeing it in the cinema, and it was, I believe, Valentine's Day 2007. It was a big Valentine's Day release for working title, I think, at that point. They were really sort of giving this a huge push. And I think, I mean, just the way that it was basically sort of sold as Michael Bay meets Midsummer Murders was enough <laughs> for me. It was like that blend of sort of small town sort of uh, crime meets Hollywood blockbuster action. It was just perfect and again it's like yeah looking at the dvd here we've got four audio commentaries and all the different sort of storyboard flip charts and stuff like that it's yeah it's it's great to sort of see that thing and again it was nice that the the central duo you know it sort of twisted the formula where you know um simon Pegg becomes even uh an even straighter straight man uh with this with his adherence to the rules and stuff like that and then you know, Danny's uh, uh, an even almost bigger oaf, but he's he's got a heart of gold in that one. And you know, this is where you could sort of see the the sort of teamwork and stuff, the the sort of brand, the Edgar Wright sort of Simon Pegg brand of it, sort of really paying off and becoming a lot more successful in terms of what they managed to bring in. Uh, not only sort of a, a bigger budget and stuff like that, but it also you know you've got cameos from uh, Peter Jackson as Father Christmas, and then uh, Oscar winner Kate Blanchett as uh, uh, Nick's ex-girlfriend, just behind a mask, you know, when you can get Oscar winner Kate Blanchett to appear behind a mask, you know, it's just crazy, and I mean, like you say, it's it's very much sort of got the wicker man at heart, you know, it's got Edward Woodward in it, it's head of the NWA, the Neighbourhood Watch Alliance, um, so there's that, but also the fact that, you know, this cop is not necessarily lured to the village, you know, he's, he's sent up there, but, you know, there's something that is not exactly what it seems about this uh, village of the year. Um, but, you know, we can sort of dive into it a bit more, you know, before we're up to our balls and jugglers, you know, it's all for the greater good, <laughs> the greater good. So, you know, with this sort of sort of style of Hollywood action meets sort of thing, you, what, how do you think they managed to, to balance that? You know, it's, they managed to balance the horror and the comedy well in Shaun of the Dead. I mean, Kim, what did you make of that sort of balancing act this time around? Um, I think it's good because I think, I feel like they sort of build up to it. Um, like there's just sort of little glimpses of like what Nicholas is like as a police officer. And then um, when he chases the killer through like the garden centre, that's kind of when it gets like, there's a little bit, like a hint of like kind of more action but a lot of it in between feels very like I don't know like you said Midsummer Murders or like Murder Shiro or something it's quite like chill and just like crime solving and there's a bit of something going on and I feel like 
it sort of all builds up towards the final act and then that just enables the final act to be completely ridiculous because I never felt like sort of bombarded by the action. I think, I mean, I know we're going to talk about it, but I feel like one of the things about The World's End that I'm not sure about is there's a lot of like big action sort of sequences and big fight scenes and stuff. Um, whereas I think sort of <laughs> keeping Shaun of the Dead on that sort of like queen village um, thing with Nicholas just being a little bit um, more like London cop than they're sort of used to um, and then building it up to this absolute like epic uh, final scene sort of works and I'm I'm glad they didn't um, I don't know I'm glad he didn't do anything sort of in between that I think um, having him not wanting to fire guns and stuff helped with that obviously because even though he obviously has all these skills as a, a cool police officer and Danny's trying to draw it out of him and things he's very um, like not up for kind of showing that off unless he really needs to and then when it gets to the end it's like right he really actually needs to to like take them down and get the justice so um yeah I love it I think it, it's just a it's a good sort of sprinkle of it the way through to just enable you to blow their load on that last act and it not feel like overkill <laughs> Lee what did you make of the uh slow build towards the cacophony of violence towards it. <laughs> it's so good because it is like that midsummer mystery as well. It's not like an action film as such until sort of that really big kind of payoff. It's it's like who is killing all these people? There's a few red herrings. Sort of you get caught up in Adam Buxton's sort of um journalist sort of looking to unfold it. So like it it kind of I think that is the best thing about it is it is just worth that kind of complete payoff for that kind of third act where it's just explosions you, like you have the fight in the town center then you kind of go into the supermarket and then it sort of spills into the the model village and like you don't need to put in any other effort into developing these characters because they've done that over the sort of the past 90 minutes to 100 which is you know is a big ask sort of you know it's giving you a bit of blue balls for quite a for nearly <laughs> two hours but it, it, it's god it was worth it yeah, because, you know, it, I guess part of the, the build is the fact that Nicholas Angel hasn't seen films like Point Break or Bad Boys 2. So I guess it, it's waiting f until he's sort of fully immersed into that world before he decides to unleash hell as it was and return to Sanford. I mean, it's sort of, again, this is a film which sort of, you know, they're always good at sort of putting in little references to other movies. You know, obviously the big ones you've got are the Michael Bay styles with your sort of Bad Boys 2 shot towards the end with the sort of helicopter sort of flying in. Um, but you've got like the Wicker Man, there's references to sort of Chinatown, all these sort of things. I mean, do you think they managed to, to sort of balance it well? Were there any particular sort of references to anything that you that stood out for you? As sort of like, I my... A kind of knowledge of action movies a lot of the ones that they're diving into are ones that are sort of like holes in sort of my filmography like these kind of like some of these 90s action movies you know sort of like Point Break I've, I've never seen it <laughs> but I've seen the Bad Boys movies obviously so that helps so there's definitely kind of references that completely fly over my my head sadly so maybe I need to kind of address that in, in some way or another. Kim, were there any particular references that you enjoyed? Yeah, I'm kind of the same with um, a lot of action films. I maybe didn't uh, get them, and I yeah, even even the clips that they kind of show you, Point Break and stuff, I've still not seen those films, so I don't get them. But obviously, the Wicker Man thing, and then I always think like um, Adam Buxton getting his head smashed in by the thing off the church is very omen-esque i think that's probably the only one that always stands out to me because yeah um but uh 
yeah, again, I'm, I have every faith in them that much like Shaun of the Dead, they are very good at keeping the references the whole way through. It's just, unfortunately, I'm not an action film uh, aficionado, so they probably go over my head most of the time. Yeah, no, there's some great ones in it, but I think they managed to, to loop out. It's, it's more probably in keeping in the spirit of that style of, of film, which is, is great. And because, you know, there's that, the third act of violence where every single person in the town has access to multiple <laughs> firearms which is really nice and the sort of the sort of nice callbacks to so sort of, you, you almost sort of don't realize until the end that um like uh paul freeman who plays uh the reverend is the bad guy in raiders of the lost ark uh hatcher the guy who's the uh the doctor was the, the bad guy in lethal weapon 3 so it sort of brings in sort of uh elements like that which is good um and yeah, it's, it's this is the sort of film which is so great to see Timothy Dalton in this as the bad guy. I think, um, you know, Pierce Brosnan turns up in the world's end, and and for a while, you know, obviously, they, he, he's not unable to do it now. Now that Roger Moore has passed, but I did wonder if he, at one point he was going to be able to work with every single Bond. Um, I know Sean Connery's effectively retired, but that would have been an amazing thing if he managed to work with every single Bond. But I guess it's not going to happen now. But, um, I mean, I love the way that again, you know things that start at the beginning are, are called and referenced back towards the end. Um, just sort of like that, just like offhand comments, uh, that mostly coming from the Andes and stuff about, um, you want to be a big cop in a small town, F up up the model village. And then the <laughs> final act takes place in the model village where he meets Aaron A. Aronson. <laughs> and then it's like, um, it's like uh, everyone's packing around here. Like who? Farmers. Who else? Farmers' mums. It's like, you know, f- the farmer's mum at the end has a big shotgun and tries to shoot Nicholas Angel. It's all that stuff. There's like, n- it's almost like the, n- no dialogue or, or setup is wasted. There's always like a payoff, which is always great with these films. Um, but, you know, the, the, the main sort of at the heart of the this film is this sort of murder mystery about what's going on and who's who's killing all these people and you know also it comes i mean i think we can spoil it on the fact that it's 13 years old you know it's not it turns out to be you know no luck catching them killers then and it turns out it's not just one it's the entire nwa i mean did you guys see that coming no i don't think so i again i don't it was one of those things where they obviously really imply that it's um the guy who runs the supermarket and the fact that he uh, just really likes being a creep and saying things that like Im- implicate him in a lot of the murders. It was like one of those things where you're like, it seems like they're leading too heavily into being him. Like if it's him, I'll be disappointed. So I quite, yeah, I I don't think I saw it coming, but I like the way that they do it because then you still get the satisfaction of being like, all right, it was him and he is a creepy weirdo. But also it was like everyone else. And it's such a... Um, I love the like reasoning behind it because it is a total like murder shadow excuse for murdering people. Like some of the the things that they come up with in programs like that are just absolutely nuts for why people would com- uh, why people would murder people. So I think uh, it, <laughs> it sort of made sense on that level of just a they've got such a warped like idea of what the the perfect village should be that they'll just do anything to to keep it like that. 
Lee, were were you surprised? At, and what did you make of cuddly old Jim Broadbent being one of the major villains at the end? <laughs> I, I could kind of see that coming to, to an extent. It was one of those ones, like, it was the same as Kim said, they, they really lean hard into um, Timothy Dalton as, you know, he's not just a slasher of prices that he's clearly kind of tearing <laughs> up this thing. It, I, I'd seen enough sort of films of this thing to think there's definitely some sort of, like, community thing going on here. Um, did I expect the old biddies to necessarily be packing heat um, a bit less so yeah and you know one of the, the sort of great things for me is you know actually i'm wondering about that plot line uh kim i'm not sure if you've seen it yet but there's there's a new horror film which has come out on netflix and let's just say that it has an ending which is very very similar to the reveal in Hot Fuzz, where I was just thinking Hot Fuzz the whole time. I'm not sure if you've seen. Have you seen the film which I'm talking about? If, if you, if that description gives it away, you probably will know which I'm talking about. But I don't know if you have. Um, I don't. I don't think so. Uh, I don't. No, it's not ringing a. Not ringing a bell. Okay. Okay. Cool. No. Well, uh, I won't. Spoil <laughs> but there is a, a relatively new. Film. If you if you do catch it on Netflix, uh, when it, it happens, you go ah, they're okay. doing a Hot Fuzz. So yeah. Um, but in terms of, um, you know, sort of favourite moments and, and characters again, you know, is there, what are your particular favourites? Because I know for me that this film contains one of the, the greatest shots in cinema history, which is where the Andes are slowly walking off screen and then Paddy Considine <laughs> just sort of turns back into shot for just a split second and then walks off again with an extra sort of added emphasis sort of musical note. That for me just kills me every single time I see it. But um, for you guys, what are some of your favourite moments? Um, some of my favourite bits, because um, yeah, I, I rewatched this again for this and I was absolutely like ending myself laughing. Like I just, I think the bits that I find funny, they just never lose their appeal for me. My, some of my favourite bits are the bit where um, they're meeting the, like, the Cornettos in the car and they have to like speed away and... Uh, Nick Frost like jabs his in his mouth and then immediately like gives himself brain freeze or the bit where um like they have a swear jar in the police station um <laughs> the bit where like Nicholas comes in and slams a pound in so that he can swear uh, is brilliant and I I laughed as well a bit which I I don't remember before but I I laughed for like five minutes solid at it um there's a bit where. Nicholas is like, oh, we don't want to like upset the apple cart. And one of the Andes is like, oh, we're in the country. Do you think everyone sells apples? And then uh, Andy's like, eh, your dad sells apples. And he's like, yeah, and raspberries. And it's just like so <laughs> stupid because I love that the Andes are just like willing to like start a fight over everything. But like most of the time, like what they're saying is just ridiculous. Uh, and again, the fence jumping scene. Um, <laughs> it's just so so daft and just like knocking the fence over and collapsing in a heap and uh, the only one, other one I can think of is when um, he gets the phone call about the swan and the guy's name's like P.I. Staker <laughs> and he's like oh right yeah piss taker and then it cuts to him and he's like right so Mr. Staker uh, where's the, where did you see the swan last and I think there's just so many like little little bits that I feel like again the more you watch it you sort of you sometimes miss jokes they're so fast like you're laughing you're still laughing at the last one and you miss one so I feel like it's that's I think that's why it works so much watching it again and again because you kind of forget where the jokes are coming up and um all the kind of little like subtle bits in there it's just it's brilliant 
Yeah, I love the Timothy Dalton up against the picture of himself. Like, that is one of my favorite <laughs> yes. visual gags. Literally, probably any scene that takes place in and around the summer field is my favorite stuff. Like, I think there's so much good chat in um, in that scene. I just think, like, the, the little cameos as well that make it such a rich film as well. Like, you watch the film... And then you pick up like other people, like you think, oh, they, they, there's Steve Merchant in the first one. And then as you sort of like go on and people like watch the film more, you discover there's the Steve Coogan's, you know, he, he, they're the obvious ones. And then there's like the Peter Jackson as like a Christmas, as a Father Christmas, Kate Blanchett. I refuse to believe anyone knew that on the first time. You know, Gar <laughs> Jennings, like as the, the drug user, Joe Cornish as Bob, uh, another person that we've had on this podcast. So we've had someone from every of the movies so far on this show. So that's something. Um, but yeah, it's, it's such a rich film that it's probably the most, that you could probably watch out of these films and just get something from more and more each time. Yeah, no, I mean, there's so many good ones. It's, it's, it's funny watching this film now and the fact that Simon Pegg easily takes down the Hound from Game of Thrones in the Summerfield <laughs> fight. Um, and then you've got, so, yeah, sort of great, like, like the, the swear box, which has everything written <laughs> down, but sort of bleeped <laughs> out, except for the most offensive one and stuff like that. And then, um, yeah, sort of Olivia Coleman sort of uh what makes you think it was murder and stuff like that and then um for me it's the andes it's um race ball and paddy considine steal this for me whether it's like the, you've got a mustache i know or like when um jim broadbent's telling them to go and patrol the air and he's like oh he's got shorts on and stuff like that and then it's just like yeah the 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 line which got me more than any other one this time around i think was when uh, it's like it's one of those offhand sort of ones uh, but it's like the one where um nick frost is sort of saying i think i i i too have reason to suspect you favor the older gent it's like uh marcus said that one time he fingered up the duck pond and stuff like that and it's when <laughs> Simon Pegg like nearly spits his drink across the room and stuff like that it's like it, it just gets me every time um, but there's, I think it's, it's it's a different joke every time. I think that makes me laugh the most. It's like, like you say, there's so many sort of little lines sort of peppered around that it's just got it's got such great uh, once again sort of great rewatchability value to it. Um, and it sounds like we're coming to a bit of a, a split here. I think um, uh, I think uh, Kim, it's sounding like maybe Hot Fuzz is is maybe your favourite <laughs> of the three based on your reaction to it. And uh, Lee, you said that Shaun of the Dead was your favourite. And actually, I have to say that the next one is my favourite uh, because next we will be partaking of a liquid repast as we wind our way up the Golden Mile, commencing with an inaugural tankard at the first post, then on to the old familiar, the famous cock, the cross hands, the clubby companions, the trusty servant, the two-headed dog, the mermaid, the beehive, the king's head, and the hole in the wall for a measure of the same, all before that last bittersweet pint in that most fateful terminus, the world's end. Leave a light on good listener, for though we may return with a twinkle in our eye, we will in truth be blind. Drunk with opinions on the conclusion of the Cornetto trilogy, 2013's the world's end and i'm gonna take a breath and kim can you remember the first time that you saw the world's end and what were your initial thoughts um yeah i watched it um it was a few years ago for the first time and um it would have been out on on dvd or whatever i didn't go and see it in the cinema i feel like it was i mean i'm not one to let other people's opinions of films sway me because if I did I would never watch any like horror sequel or remake or anything um but it was one of those ones where I feel like uh people liked it less potentially than Shaun of the Dead or Hot Fuzz and so it was getting a lot of stick when it first came out so I wasn't in like a total rush to see it um 
so I watched it that time. I actually, for some reason, watched the last hour of it on like Christmas Day at my mum's when I was like half cut. And then I watched it again uh, this weekend. So I've only seen it two and a half times in total. And um, yeah, I got a lot more out of it this time. I feel like you go in with that opinion of being just like, oh God, like I need it to be as good as Hot Fuzz or like I'm not going to enjoy it. And then I think this time I went into it not thinking that at all and just sort of yeah I think it's one of those I think it just gets a hard time being like the last one in the trilogy people just think it's like a bit fun to say that it's the most rubbish one whether they actually think that or not and I actually think it's a really good film it just maybe isn't as good as the other two in my opinion but they are amazing films that doesn't make the world's end like a bad film so um yeah I was glad I rewatched it for this um I definitely enjoyed it a lot more and I think as well knowing exactly what was going on and stuff it kind of allowed me just to like relax into the story a bit more and just kind of enjoy where they were going with it uh Lee what were your first uh thoughts on the world's end when you saw it and did that opinion change on a rewatch uh, well it's complicated so there's, <laughs> e- there's there's almost like a like an alternative universe experience that i had to kim so i <laughs> couldn't wait for this film so i went to see it at a midnight screening where it was like a triple bill at the view so yeah i was really tired the next day going for work for this one but i went along to to see it and I was like, I was really hyped up for it. And it was at that stage now where it come off sort of Edgar Wright's, what I think is still his best film, which is Scott Pilgrim versus the World, which I think was a masterpiece by and large. Um, and I think there's a podcast probably had be had there with the, the kind of geeks you guys are. So <laughs> I was really hyped for the film and I watched it and I was like, mm, I don't think I like that. I wanted to like it. You know when you've had that thing where you've watched a film and you're like, you know what, like, these guys are great, you know, it's just me, you know, I'm tired. I'll give it, you know, like three and a half. That That's good, you know, it's, it's earned that. You know, it's not the best of the other ones, but hey, it doesn't matter much. And I've got the Blu-ray and I've seen it on TV several times, but I've never got beyond sort of maybe the first pub. Like, finishing, re-watching The World's End again has become my getting to the world's end. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll love, watch that first five minutes ago. This is perfect. Here we go. I'm in the zone. And then it just sort of deflates very, very quickly. And I got to the end of it and I'd rated it three and a half in the one time I'd watched it before. And I sort of went, you know what? It's maybe a three. And then I sat and I thought, you know what? It's probably a two, to be honest. Um, I really love some of the elements of it. As I say, I love that first five minutes. I think the story at the heart of it in terms of Simon Pegg, like obviously he has had his issues in the past with with alcohol and things like addiction and so on and how that kind of played a part in a sort of younger life. And I think the film has a really important message about kind of growing up and, you know, tackling those demons. But I think the whole sci-fi plot and everything around it just, just isn't very good at all and I don't think I'll ever be going revisiting the the world's end again <laughs> oh I see right well harsh words strong strong opinions but I uh, know that's 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 good that's what we like to see um for me I think I saw this on opening day uh, 2013 I think I was coming off of actually this is seven years to the day actually since uh the edgar wright marathon at the prince charles uh which was uh annoyingly just out before world's end was out and they couldn't get the world's end so it was every film of edgar wright's up until that point including 
the famous uh, teaser footage of uh, Ant-Man, which he had shot, but sadly never got to do. Um, and I was in the front row dressed as Sean from Shaun <laughs> of the Dead. Uh, now thinking about it means I actually travelled to London with a cricket bat in my bag. Which these days you probably wouldn't be allowed to do. Uh, it would probably be seen as an offensive weapon. Also, it would you know put your baggage well over the limit as well. So, um, but that's an aside. But uh, you know, I watched this film and I actually really liked. It. I think it's the most grown up of the three films. Ironic being that the central character has not grown up at all. Um, but for me, there's something about. I think it's maybe the sort of age I was at at the moment where I'd sort of been, we sort of finished uni for around about sort of 10 years and I actually got my mates together that October and we did our own golden mile. We went back to, I was still in Aberdeen, but a lot of them came back to Aberdeen for the weekend and we did 12 pubs, 12 pints, uh, starting off at uni with like the St. Macker, then the Bobbin, Archie Simpsons, Alyssa Still, Prince Charles, O'Neill's, Mac Cameron's, Old Schoolhouse, Triple Kirk's, Revolution, Slane's Castle, Siberia, and then ending up in Espionage, <laughs> aka The World's End, as I put it. Uh, 12, 12 men, 10 guys, 12 pubs, 120 pints, total annihilation. I'd even made a poster for it. and uh, But we could tell that we'd grown up because about four or five pubs in, we decided to switch to gin and tonics because we just couldn't hack the pace anymore. Um, but we did do all 12 pubs and all 12 uh, drinks in the end. Um, it was a messy day the day after. But you know, for me, this was, it was a film where I could really sort of relate to certain elements of the characters about meeting up with your mates and stuff and trying to sort of recapture the past. You know, I've been mates with my mates from uni for all this time and we now sort of meet up at least once a year, not for, an epic pub crawl, but for like a, a week and a week we can catch up and stuff. So I could certainly see that element of it. And you've always, there's always, you always kind of know someone like Gary King who's sort of trying to recapture that, the the moment and go too hard, too fast, and then uh, end up spending the entire rest of the weekend completely and utterly hungover and uh, crying a bit. But uh, that's not me, by the way. Um, but you know, there's just something about it. But I think, I'm not sure what it was about the film, but I think I almost wish that the film had almost been marketed in a way where you didn't know about the second half of the film where it turns out that the town has been taken over by, well, not robots, because, you know, uh, robots mean slaves, and they're not slaves. Um, they're blanks, essentially. So if it had been, like, <laughs> marketed as just a, a regular sort of comedy about a, a group of people going to pub crawl, and then you sort of, similar to, I think, how we discussed sort of Dust Till Dawn, how, you know, it turns into a vampire movie halfway through, it man if they'd managed to keep it secret, I think it might have been effective. But I think, yeah, part of the, the issues with this film for a lot of people is the fact that, you know, sure that the Hot Fuzz came out sort of one after the each other and then everyone started to go off and do their, their separate things where, you know, Edgar Wright, where it wasn't a critical, uh, a commercial success, but for me, I think, yeah, I'm similar to you, I think it's his best directed film is, is Scott Pilgrim, but, you know, um, Nick Frost and Simon Pegg went off to do Paul together and it just wasn't as good and they were sort of coming back to sort of recapture the magic and it maybe had been too long and people just weren't as keen on this one as other ones I think so that was a, a shame but no I still find a lot to to really like about this and you know there's, there's certain characters you've got like um Eddie Marzan is I think is great in this he's he's someone who could be really sort of sweet and, and good nature but also can be a really horrible person if anyone's ever seen Tyrannosaur by Peter Mill and he's just one of the worst people in that alive and yeah no it's just 
something really interesting about the the group and the fact that it all gets. I mean, essentially, it's about a pub crawl that turns into almost sort of evasion from the body snatchers towards the end. Um, and I can see why it's not for everyone. For, but for me, I think sort of looking back on it, having rewatched it again yesterday, I think it's it's still the one that sort of got the most heart. And for me, features probably the best acting from Peg and Frost in this, where they essentially they've sort of switched around and. Nick Frost gets to play the straight man, and uh, Simon Pegg is playing the uh, the mess up, the the f up this time round. So, I mean, what did you guys make of that sort of switch between the the two lead actors? Lee, let's come to you first. I think they probably had to do it at this point, and I think it's you know they're both great comedic actors, but. Sim, uh, Nick Frost is also good at, at taking on sort of the, the serious roles um, and as a sort of Simon Pegg he's sort of you know he kind of threads that line between sort of that you kind of touched on it earlier like we probably all know sort of a Gary King that sort of person that threads the needle sort of between being a bit tragic a bit pathetic but kind of funny like he still gets the kind of laughs from the group so I thought Simon Pegg was kind of the perfect person to be cast in that role I just don't think Nick Frost he is a good actor especially a good comedic actor but he doesn't have that extra bit in him that I think Simon Pegg has um, so I thought they were they were really well cast in it and it sort of nicely mixes up it so it, you know it, it's not just sort of Nick Frost being the, the village idiot for a third movie in a row almost and Kim, what did you make of the the double act this time? Around? Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was really good, and it was fun seeing Nick Frost kind of be the the more straight laced one, but then also him getting to get like drunk, um, halfway through the film and be like a bit of a an idiot was I think like a good kind of release for that. Um, I think the the kind of thing I had with that, like I think Simon Pegg was really good at playing the character, but I feel like I feel like I found him less like likable. Um, like he was he yeah he was just one of those friends i think that you you stay friends with because you've been friends with them for so long but they've done so many things there's so many things that they kind of rattle off that he had done um to them or whatever like in the past to kind of screw them over a bit i feel like he just felt a little bit less likable than like nick frost was um in Shaun of the dead as kind of the like buffoon type um character uh so yeah i wasn't yeah i wasn't as sold on liking him as much as I did sort of like the pair of them in uh, the other films. I sort of more liked the the rest of the group of the pals rather than, than him. Um, and also he really heavily reminds me of uh, an ex-boyfriend that I had who was a bit like that, was like, <laughs> like in, in his 30s, but trying to act like he was still 17 and just coming off a bit pathetic. So it kind of gives me memories of that a little bit. Um, so yeah, no, I still I still really liked it and I still thought it was a good character, but I just found it a little bit harder um, to relate to him than I did in the other films. Yeah. And, you know, this film, once again, sort of sets up the entire story in the sort of opening sort of flashback, as it turns out Simon Pegg's telling the story, this one epic night where, you know, the the character beats and the story beats are all there about where certain characters, you know, they talk about, you know, Mark Freeman's character sort of, uh, sort of checks out after sort of pub six and his character becomes a blank after pub six and stuff like that. So it's all kind of there, even to the point where you, at the end when he's looking out over the, the town at the end of the first night, you can see a shooting star, which I think is the network sort of coming to earth at that point. And, you know, the number of each 
pub and thing sort of appears in the background somewhere. The, the name of each pub relates to what happens in each of the pubs as well, you know, so it's all sort of really well written in there. But sort of one other thing which I, we haven't talked about yet and I want to sort of get onto with this one is Edgar Wright's use of music in films. He's always very good at getting music which relates to the story and I think no more than in this one where you've got sort of songs like So Young sort of plays where they're sort of first going out on the night out. You've got Do You Remember the First Time where uh, Rosamund Pike's character comes back in and the sort of that love triangle between uh, Paddy Considine and Simon Pegg and you've got Kylie Minogue sort of step back in time when they go into the, the nightclub where the the marmalade sandwich are still in their youthful looks and stuff like that. So, I mean, what do you guys think of sort of Edgar Wright's use of music and the way he sort of uses it to help tell the story? I've never picked up on it too much in this because obviously I've not seen so much of it. Um, I think it works so well in sort of Shaun of the Dead, but in sort of World's End, obviously with my limited viewings, it's never quite stuck in or sort of, I've never felt so engaged with the music and everything that's kind of been been going on. I certainly picked up in the Step Back in Time by Kylie Minogue and that one was uh, landed quite well. But yeah, I, I've, I've never really picked up on this one. Kim, have you ever sort of noticed any sort of favourite musical cues about Zombie Nation from Shaun of the Dead? <laughs> yeah, I did notice that one actually. Again, um, I th- I mean I think the big one in the world's ends obviously like the uh, Loaded by Primal Scream gets chucked in a few times and then basically spoken by um, Simon Pegg at the end. Yeah. Um, I think my favourite one actually in this and um, Hot Fuzz were the ones that just play over the credits when they kick in because. Um, in Hot Fuzz, it's like caught by the fuzz, and then um, on the world's end, it was Happy Hour by I can't remember what they're called. That's really annoying. Um, uh, that's annoying. But yeah, it was just was it the yes, House the House Martins. It just yes. kicks it. It's such a like jaunty, like happy song that's amazing, and it's just the fact that like uh, yeah, it's quite like bleak end with like the world's ending and stuff, and then it just kicks in a uh, this this song about being in pubs and stuff. And yeah, so do I do. I do like it. It feels very like baby driver esque, but I I do like when the music feels very like intentional. But I maybe again because I've only seen it a couple of times, I maybe didn't notice like everything that there was. But it does. I think it just adds a little bit of like another bit of like subtext and it makes you feel like a bit smug when you get the reference and I always enjoy that. <laughs> and I think the best music bit of almost music in the whole trilogy isn't even sort of a bit of singing at all. It's obviously um, uh, Chris Martin's little appearance in, in Shaun of the Dead. That always makes me <laughs> chuckle as well. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, like you're saying, with this sort of downbeat, slightly downbeat ending and then just a happy song, it sort of reminded me of uh, Asian horror films. Uh, Asian horror films always seem to have this thing of I think it's like Audition and Battle Royale and even like Infernal Affairs where a guy basically gets shot in the head and then like two seconds later it's this really sort of upbeat, happy sort of J-pop song and stuff like that. It's always a weird <laughs> thing how these horror films end with such a happy, upbeat thing. Mm. It's like, I'm going to leave you dancing out the cinema even though everyone's dead. So um, I guess that sort of brings us, um, sort of ties us up to the end of Other World's End unless anyone has any particular sort of favourite moments even though... Uh, it sounds like you two are not as keen on this film as me. Are there any particular moments or sort of characters that stood out this time? My um, my absolute favourite bit that I 
almost had to pause it. I was laughing so much. It's just so stupid. It's when they're in the pub and they're trying to decide what to call the robots and uh, they're arguing for ages and then they go, there's like a big fight scene in the toilet and it cuts back to Nick Frost and he's like, look, nothing anyone has said in the last three minutes is better than Smashy Smashy Eggman. And it's just just so like daft because like he's been very straight laced to the point and that's when he starts getting drunk and it's just um, that to me, when I laughed so much at that, it felt very like... um, the jokes and hot fuzz and stuff and um i know i said earlier as well that i felt like there was maybe too many fight scenes and stuff in it i do think the fight scenes are brilliant they're very like well choreographed and i appreciate the robots getting like pulled apart and stuff i maybe just think there's a little bit too many of them like i think the run time's about like an hour and 50 minutes it maybe just felt like a little bit too long um because obviously once they kind of discover that the the kind of blanks exist they they just spend a lot of time sort of running away and fighting them i thought it could have been trimmed down a little but the bits where they do have the big fights especially like nick frost with like the double bar stools just like smashing everyone's head off and stuff mm-hmm. i think it's very well done it doesn't look um like cheesy or like it's from like a comedy film or anything it feels very like it feels very like in place and in, in something like more sci-fi i just maybe think they maybe used a bit too much of it uh and maybe they needed a little bit more comedy i also love uh rosamund pike just being like oh crumbs like all the time um she's hilarious i love her accent and i feel like that just worked really well uh lee were there any any highlights (laughs) as i say i just i love that opening bit that it gave gives me so much hope so many times i've attempted to to watch this movie so that's that's certainly something but no it it, i i think simon pegg's performance is something i've always really appreciated um and it sort of stuck with me i just think the whole framing of the film in terms of this sci-fi story just it just doesn't work really well do you know what it reminds me of watching it even sort of like the robots it reminds me of sort of like a david tennant era doctor who uh, or sort of like chris freckleston and i don't necessarily mean that as a negative (laughs) but like that like when i watched that i thought like i think like i could imagine this like you know doctor who like david tennant or chris freckleston they're like getting up to whatever antics they are in wales or london but just sort of north of it like this is sort of like exploded beyond sort of the Doctor Who realm. I can imagine like a double bill of that where you watch and you think like the aliens kind of look like they fit into the Doctor Who world, but this is just what sort of like day-to-day British folk are getting up to while the Doctor is like trying to deal with like the network or whatever um, sort of down in Wales or something. So yeah, I, I could see sort of like a, if you were really wanting to do something like have like a Doctor Who blitz and then go, right, I'm going to randomly insert the world's end in sort of the middle of like a, an alien invasion episode. Cool. So uh, I guess we can uh, skip to the end and bring us to the end of our rewatch of the Cornetto trilogy. Um, but uh, Lee, you'd sort of qu- uh, pose the question of if you could sort of double bill each film with another film, what would you go with? So Kim, do you have uh, selections for each individual film? I probably should do this after each individual one, but we can do it now. So if you had a sort of almost like an alternate triple bill to go with uh the cornetto trilogy what would you um so you've mentioned it quite a few times during this conversation actually but for Shaun of the dead i went for from dust till dawn um i just feel like most of the action kind of taken place in a drinking establishment and uh having a fight against the monsters um i thought would have been a good double bill and i also feel like obviously from dust till dawn is a lot more horror than Shaun of the dead but there's still a lot of comedy in it um 
so I feel like it wouldn't be a total like drop off into bleak town watching that afterwards it would sort of be um just maybe switching the ratios a little bit um for Hot Fuzz, I decided to go with The Howling. I tried to think of a film where there's like a community that have like a murderous secret. And I thought The Howling is quite a good one because um, the D. Wallace's character gets sort of um, attacked by a madman who is a werewolf and she doesn't know that. And um, she sort of gets sent off to this commune by her doctor that's like this peaceful society where she can like live and chill out and recover and she thinks it's fine but it's actually a big group of werewolves and um yeah so I thought that was quite a quite a good one because they do keep the the secret for quite a while and then once it comes out everything just gets a bit murderous and then um for the world's end I went with the faculty um which is obviously heavily inspired by like invasion of the body snatchers as well but it's the the same sort of deal where everyone seems quite normal and then um yeah when they discover that there's something maybe alien and kind of sinister going on everything goes a bit mad and there's big like big fight scenes and people's body parts getting ripped off and uh stuff like that so yeah i thought that would be a, a good one and that's actually i've just realized it's two robert rodriguez films <laughs> that, <laughs> didn't do that on purpose but uh, yeah there you go <laughs> Excellent. Do you want to go back and change the middle? Yeah, I was going to say, I was just, I was, I was like, what could, I, what could I change the middle one to make it two like double director things? But I can't, I can't think of one. I'm going to stick with the Helen. <laughs> uh, well, Robert Rodriguez actually did uh, a couple of the music cues for Hot Fuzz. Um, the sort of the tooling up one where uh, Simon Pegg's putting on all the guns and stuff like that. That's a Robert Rodriguez nice. cue. So uh, there you go. This, it, it wow, I didn't together. even know that. I'll just so, pretend I knew that and I'm really... I clever. didn't know that either. No. <laughs> yeah, so, so Lee, what's your alternate triple bill? So to go with Shaun of the Dead, I've gone for Robert Rodriguez's Spy Kids. Uh, no, I've gone for Maggie. <laughs> so it's this sort of like zombie cannibal movie starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, where he has someone in his life, his young daughter, that he really should have got rid of that has uh, an infection, but he decides to stay with his loving uh, per- uh, lo- this loving person in his life. So a nice little counterbalance to the relationship we see in Shaun of the Dead. Hot Fuzz. Here we are talking about how great this police movie is. Unfortunately, we have to, you know, think about the climate that we're in. So I would recommend LA92 for like another side of sort of the police brutality. In this case, not exactly something we're cheering on and sort of laughing away to, but something that kind of shows that, um, yeah, just something kind of interesting to kind of complement the kind of hilarity of hot fuzz and policing and that and with the world's end and sort of another alien invasion movie but sort of done in a very different way and that's under the skin so in the world's end we have you know drinking in pubs and sort of in the, the um, Scotland we have shagging aliens instead <laughs> that are using that to get their way Excellent a nice eclectic over there and I have gone with, for Shaun of the Dead, I've gone with, it was the start of the Cornetto trilogy, so I've gone for a film essentially about a killer ice cream, and that is Larry Cohen's The Stuff. <laughs> um, and then for Hot Fuzz, which was a sort of spoof on sort of Midsummer Murders and the sort of action genre, I've gone with another spoof which I rewatched the other week, and it's just so funny, and it's uh, Black Dynamite, which is a spoof of black exploitation movies, and in one particular scene, the scene where they work out what the evil plot is and there's sort of a mind meld, sort of brainstorming session, is one of the funniest scenes I've seen in the last decade. It's just hilarious. And then for The World's End, I've gone with The Invasion of the Body Snatchers, but the 1978 version by Philip Kaufman, 
which is a film which still stays with me to this day for that final shot, which I won't spoil, but uh, I watched it late at night on BBC One one night and it freaked me out and I couldn't really sleep afterwards. And it's there's a film which ends with no music. It just ends on a horribly, horribly bleak note and, yeah, no happy pop music mm. in that one. So, yeah, so there are our alternate triple bills there, but we always like to recommend a little something else for you on our episodes. So, Lee, let's come to you first. What is your non-Cornetto trilogy recommendation? Of the yeah, week? so kind of friends of the show, um, Cameron Howe and Oase, have uh, st- opened, uh, they've got a brand new podcast. So they previously did 20-minute movies uh, when they were on the 20-minute uh, football kind of network. So they've kind of launched their own sort of new podcast. So they talk about film for, for 35 minutes as well. So they're kind of uh, nestling in on our turf. But um, I'll, I'm going to give them a, a recommendation as well. I'm going to keep them close. So yeah, really good, good first episode where they spent their first time confessing all the movies they hadn't seen. So one of them was Chicken Run, which I watched with them last night, which was quite fun. So uh, yeah, I would definitely recommend people to, to check out their podcast. It's I know it's definitely on Spotify already. Um, I'm not too sure sure about elsewhere but well worth checking out um i'm going with hellboy from 2019 and um, this is another film that i have never heard anything remotely nice about um but i was listening to an episode of strong language violent scenes which is a podcast that like talks about underseen or underrated films and uh this horror writer called Joey Keogh, who's an Irish horror writer, she loves this film and I listened to about 20 minutes of her defending it and decided that it was a film that I needed to see because it sounded fantastic. And it wasn't until I actually put it on that I realised it was Neil Marshall who directed it, who did like Dog Soldiers and The Descent, which are two of my favourite films. And I love the the other Hellboy films, like the uh, Del Toro ones. I think they're really good. Um, I have no real concept of the comic or anything because I've not read them but I had an absolutely fantastic time with this like there's some terrible CGI in it I'm not gonna even remotely lie to you but there's also some fantastic bits of like giant demons that look like pyramid head from Silent Hill like ripping people's skin off and like impaling people on their legs and there's just brilliant fight scenes and um Hellboy's very funny there's also terrible English accents but it's it's just so much fun it was it was brilliant I had a great a great time with it and uh yeah so if you've if you've heard terrible things about the new hellboy don't let that put you off it's on netflix i would go and check it out it was a lot of it was a lot of fun and it was a lot more like violent and sweary than um, i'm used to my superhero movies being and i loved it that i was not because <laughs> I, <laughs> I saw hellboy last year and it was it, for me it was one of the worst films of the year and you know uh, David Harbour was good in it but for me I think it was Stephen Graham is was it like a scouse, a scouse pig, pig werewolf fairy. Pig thing. <laughs> I was just like that for me was with the worst character of 2019 uh, uh, but he redeemed himself with his uh, comedy shorts in The Irishman but uh, it, it's a recommendation for us so yeah give it a watch and you can you can come to your own opinion and for me um Today, I spent most of today uh, working to the music of Ennio Morricone, who sadly passed away today at the age of 91 and, you know, is responsible for so many classic sort of film soundtracks, including the Spaghetti Westerns of Sergio Leone, Good, the Bad and the Ugly, and of course, one of my favourite ones. It's it's one of his more subdued ones, I guess, but uh, his work with John Carpenter on The Thing is just a classic as well. So um, you can find all of his uh, music on Spotify, or you can uh, go out and actually buy some of his albums as well, I'm sure. But yeah, so uh, Spotify list of Ennio Morricone, I think, would be 
you can walk around like you're in a spaghetti western for the rest of the week if you want to. So there you go. Uh, but that's all from us uh, this week. We're off to the uh, Winchester until this whole thing blows over. So we'll see you next week. Cheers. Bye-bye. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party. Welcome to Nerd Party. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.